It's Ken. Ken's coming over to my side. Come on, Ken. You got this. You come on the Wealthy Idiot Show. We'll get you as a co-host. It'll take a giant pay cut, but we'll have a good time. Hey, everybody. My name's AJ, and this is the Wealthy Idiot Show. Before we get into it, please make sure to smash the like button for the YouTube algorithm. Please subscribe and hit that bell so you don't miss any good content. If you're new here, we're trying to teach good financial practices that will get you wealthy the right way. And we're trying to work extra hard to make sure that we steer you away from get-rich-quick schemes that will trap you out of your wealth. Today, I found a video from our best friend, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's not actually in it, but his daughter's in it. Someone else is in it. I think his, I think his name's Ken. The video is called, Buy Your Kids a House Now in Case They Can't Afford One Later. Question mark dash Ramsey show reacts. So they're reacting to someone who said something on TikToks, on the Tiki Talkies, whatever the kids call it nowadays. And I actually agree and disagree quite a bit with what they have to say. So let's get into it. So I saw this clip, Ken, and I would love okay. to have a discussion. So let's play this Instagram reel. In 16 years, your daughter will not be able to buy a house. It will not be affordable for her to buy a house unless you help her. I would argue that it is a better business decision. It is a better financial decision for you to buy a house for her. It's an investment property. It's a rental property. All of the money that comes from that goes into an account. And that is her college, number one. And number two, that house is being paid for by somebody else. So then when she is 22 years old, graduated from college, you can say, here's sweetheart, here's the home that you will never ever have been able to afford if I had not bought it for you 16 years ago. And I'm telling you right now, that is the best financial decision. Rather than going to 529, whatever that thing is, college fund, that is <laughs> oh, complete yeah. and total bull. I agree with Whoa. that. I'm telling you right now, going ahead and buying a house as an investment, that is the best thing that you can do for your children. And I'm not selling anything I own because- no, I wish I'd kept everything yeah. I ever bought. All right, so before they get into it, um, just my first kind of impressions on the video is real estate people are a little bit crazy. The gains from real estate are so good that when you sit down and do the math, when you do the math about putting your cash into anywhere else, it doesn't make sense to do that if real estate is like a sure thing. The trick is, is real estate a sure thing? You get all these people who started in real estate like after the 2008 crash, houses were low, we saw like good increases over time. And so they're, you know, people have gotten rich off of real estate and they're looking around like, look, we, we broke the numbers down a few weeks ago and realized that it's like a 24% gain just buying a property now, even with current interest rates. And so I'm going to go ahead and buy 40%, 24% ROI, you know, each year, right? That's the yearly return. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to then go put your money in somewhere else. Not only that, but the cash flow is cash free, so or is tax free. So that's what she's referring to here. Why put your money in a tax free savings, where you when you withdraw it, you pay no tax penalties. When you could put it in something that produces cash free cash flow the entire time, and then by the time she hits college, you could just take that money and just put it right into whatever college costs. And, you know, you won't pay taxes and it's essentially the same thing, but your gains are a whole lot more. So I get what she's saying here, but will that always be the case? I think the numbers will always work, but they might not always work as well as they have in the past. Right now we're seeing declines as opposed to increases. I'm not saying that it's not going to keep increasing in the future. I'm going to keep investing in real estate, but yeah, you know, from 2012 to today, it's been nuts. The other thing is real estate isn't like the easiest, most passive thing on the planet. Um, Dave Ramsey has said, like, stop calling real estate passive income. It's not. It's like it's like a job. I'm all for you buying a, buying some real estate. Um, 
but when idiots on the internet say real estate is passive income, that means they've never owned any. I would say it's a very, very part-time job for me, at least. Like I put very little effort into it each week, maybe an hour or less each week. So it's not like a huge part-time job, but still it does take effort. There was a lot of stress on my first home when I bought it and I was having a hard time sleeping that month because I didn't know if this was going to work out, how that was going to look. And I even had cash reserves. So even with all that, it was kind of stressful. This isn't something that everybody can do. So saying you can't, you know, your daughter's not gonna be able to buy a house. Um, you should do this. Everybody should do this. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's entirely true. As far as the part where she says that you, your daughter won't be able to buy a house in the future in 16 years, she'll never be able to afford it. Actually, I have data suggesting that that's not true, but I think they're going to talk about that. And that's the part where I think we're going to agree. So let's watch first and then we'll we'll respond. Wow, a lot there. Fascinating. Boy, she was a bit of a machine gun there. She knew what she wanted to All right, couple get out things. to the world. Uh, myth number one, first thing she said that's incorrect and it's just absolute emotional hyperbole is that your daughter won't be able to buy a house. It won't be affordable. Oh, that's, yeah. She won't be able to on her own. That's fear-mongering. Yes. And that's, that's kind of playing into this whole, you know, uh, upper class versus lower class. It's a little bit of middle-class warfare because she's making a point. Uh, but that's exaggerated, and it's not true. Secondly, um, All right, I'm going to stop him there. So he's absolutely right. We, we have a common thing where people talk about, like, I'll never be able to, like, millennials can never afford houses like their parents did way back in the day. But the data doesn't actually support that, which is interesting. And houses have improved since, you know, when our grandparents were buying houses from way back when. But there's two points of data I would like to, to show you guys real quick. The first is what's called the payment to income ratio. How much you're paying out for your home versus the amount of money that you make. The average homeowner in 1996 was paying about a little under 25%. And then that went up in 2008, you know, because the whole everybody was buying homes. So the housing prices went up way too high. It crashed after the 2008 crash and it went below 20%. And it stayed between 20% and 25% for most of, you know, 2014 to 2020. It even dropped during COVID and then it shot back up again recently because of the weird sort of supply chain restriction stuff that we experienced. So it's it's kind of a myth. Like there, there isn't a time in history where the mortgage to income ratio was like so skewed. Somewhere around 25% seems to be the case. So the other half is like, okay, well, maybe there are a lot more people owning homes with that 25% debt to income ratio. And now as less people are owning homes, it's still a high mortgage to income ratio, except you could actually see we have higher home ownership rates today than we did like before 1970. And if you look to that 1996 timeframe, it was a lower home ownership rate. It was under 64%. And then it started to go up because of the, the free, the really available money and the um, adjustable rate mortgages. And then it dropped back down again but you know, back down to like pre 1970 numbers, and then it's kind of climbing back up now. So home ownership rates have been pretty much the same throughout these time periods. It hasn't changed too much, which would lead me to believe that if the amount we're spending on of our income on average on a home has been about the same this whole time, and the amount of people who own homes hasn't fluctuated too much, except for a couple of those anomalies there, it would, it would seem that this whole talking point that people can't own homes is a little bit made up. 
right? I think what it is, is people expect to get out of college, get a high paying job, turn around and buy a home. The problem is, is they get out of college, they move to a place that's really, really expensive. They can't afford homes in that place. They look at it and think like, I can't afford a home until I'm at least in my forties. That seems impossible to them. They get depressed and those people are louder than the people who are actually purchasing homes. What she's prescribing there is most likely, I don't have any other context. Do you know this person? Nope, nope. Just... I don't have any other context, but she's probably saying take on debt. So let's say yes. an American yes, family's got a bunch of debt and then they were to take what she were to Why does it look like Ken's wearing like a prison jumper? Like escaped prison to come give people financial advice. <laughs> say is go gospel truth. Mortgage. Now they're going to go get a second mortgage and under the guise of, well, this is really, really smart. So it's incomplete advice. So there's two things right out of the gate. Okay. So number one, yes, I'm with you on the fear thing. I'm like, no, that's just not, I mean, I just, I just am not, Yeah. I don't agree. Uh, number two, yeah, yes, I getting on that second that. mortgage where I'm like, man, now if you're. See, we're vibing again. See, we're vibing. I'm following it. I'm following it. Don't follow the fear. Don't operate off of fear. That's a dumb idea. Don't do it. Pay cash for it. That's a different discussion. But people think in the like the real Most estate. Most people wouldn't be able to. And yeah, but people think with real estate, they're like, oh yeah, it's you know, you just buy it and someone else will pay the mortgage. Sure. It's no big deal. Yeah. It's a part-time job oh, yeah. when you have other properties. Like and risky. You, and risky because what if you don't have anyone to fill it? And then who's gonna pay the mortgage? So. Uh, Third ugh. thing, the five twenty nine is a. Okay, so. It's a part-time-ish job. Yeah, I mean, when I'm buying a new property, I'm definitely working a lot more than an hour a week. But once I have the property, I'm just kind of responding to texts from my property manager, um, and I'm doing some accounting. That's about it. It's it's not a lot of effort on my part. So yeah, I don't entirely agree with that one. Um, the other half is, yeah, we're taking out debt and we're doing this. And yeah, stuff could happen. And in fact, I made an entire episode about how you can protect yourself in case something does happen. Like vacancies happen. That should be in your plan. Um, making sure you have a good tenant. Bad tenants should be in your plan. Um, having an emergency fund for just this house. Not only you should have a personal emergency fund, but one just for your properties. That should be in your plan. And lastly, I and th this is where me and a lot of the real estate community disagree. I think that you should have a good buffer in other types of investments that you could tap into under the worst of cases scenarios. Not that I would recommend tapping into it. In fact, that would be the last case scenario for me that I, that I would have to tap into that. But at least it gives me that buffer of having something that doesn't fluctuate quite as much in case something does happen to my property and I do have to tap into it. Interesting note is um, for my Airbnb insurance, like I have a separate short-term rental insurance on my house. And if something would happen to my home, like uh, the roof caved in and we had to you know, replace the roof and it cost X amount of dollars and we were out 30 you know, days or 60 days or something, whatever, whatever the number, they will actually pay my average income as a part of my insurance plan for the time that my house is incapable of going on the market. That's part of my insurance. So yeah, stuff could happen like they're talking about here. Um, I usually recommend to people, if you're getting into real estate, know, know that this is what you want to do and know how to figure these numbers out and be passionate about it. It's not for everybody, but there, she isn't wrong. And simply saying like kind of hand waving stuff could happen. Isn't the same thing as like preparing. If you're creating a business, you should be prepared for stuff to happen.
wonderful investment vehicle. She makes it out like it's some sort of piece of crap, and they're both like, oh, yeah, no, 529, that's so stupid. Well, it's not, that's not right. 529 is a wonderful investment vehicle, and it can be used multiple ways. So, you know, again, the, the, the poo-pooing what's normal and the fear-mongering here, this is incomplete. However, all right, those are three. So a 529 allows you to tax defer the money. So tax defer means you're not paying taxes on it now. You get to write it all the contributions up to whatever the limit is on a 529 as being tax-free. And then it's tax-free again, as long as the withdrawals are for approved educational purposes. And that's not necessarily universities. We talked before about coding boot camps being something that's useful. And you could do a coding boot camp, put your money into the 529, do a coding bootcamp, and it's all tax-free. Tax-free is awesome. Not only that, but it's simply an account vehicle, meaning that you could invest the money that's in that 529 elsewhere. So you could stick it into index funds like we talk about here. There's even spicy ways to stick it into other stuff like real estate if you needed to, or crypto I think has recently been approved if you felt like doing that. And then as you're withdrawing this and giving it to your child for their tax or for their education purposes, you're not paying taxes on it. So it is pretty good to go. What I was talking about earlier was that comparison to real estate. Like if I were to buy real estate, take out a loan, leverage that real estate, the income from that real estate is tax-free. We've covered that in other videos. We'll cover it again for sure, but it's you're not paying taxes on that income. The house is also appreciating as time goes on, and that's a gain in your net worth value. Um, you can use that tax-free money to then pay for the college but not only that, the people who are living there are paying the mortgage, so they're paying down that debt for you. You're not paying down that debt yourself. And what she's saying here is like, look, if you have something that has like a cash on cash return of like five to 10%, which is pretty awesome from your original investment, and all of that income is tax-free, and then we could turn around and put that into anything, why would you put your money in a 529 when this is an option? And I don't entirely disagree. I just don't agree that you have to that you have to pick one or the other. Like I was saying at the beginning, real estate people tend to be like real estate all day, every day, no other options. Don't diversify because this is the thing that works the best. I, I kind of prefer an approach of kind of putting my eggs in a bunch of different baskets. Um, I like the advantages of real estate and the wealth gain from real estate, but I like knowing that I have these other things there that are more stable and are less effort on my part. So, you know, doing real estate and a 529 is not a bad idea things I didn't like. Okay. Give me what you did like, Kenneth. Here's the caveat. All right. The caveat Whoa. is Whoa. if you have Ken, Ken's coming over to my side. Come on, Ken. You got this. You come on the Wealthy Idiot Show. We'll get you as a co-host. You'll take a giant pay cut, but we'll have a good time. Have no debt. Mm -hmm. All right. You have no debt the Ramsey way. And you can put a sizable down payment on a home, a future home. And in, in the in the context of what she's saying for your child versus fund their college, I don't think that's foolish. And, and I only say that to say you have to be financially responsible. Like this is not stressing you out financially. You can put a huge down payment on it. So you're going the amount of money I would put towards their college is more than a 20 percent down payment. Um, and we have no other debt. Therefore, this is not stressing us out. Um, in that situation, it is a very interesting idea because college has increasingly got more expensive and less relevant. That is true. Yes. So you're giving your kids some options to where they could cash flow their way through college. 
with the rent is what she's saying. That's right. Well, or no, they just, they work. And so you now given them this long-term investment. You've gifted them this long-term investment. It's interesting. I'm not recommending it or right. endorsing it. Right. But right. I at least want to be an equal opportunity commenter. <laughs> to see both sides. If you yeah. have the financial wherewithal and you're not going into any kind of risk and you're not assuming a very large amount of debt. Right. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not a horrible idea. Well, so I see what he's saying here. So if you were to get a house the Dave Ramsey way, because he says, you know, real estate investing is great. Just pay cash for it. He's even suggesting just a large down payment. He didn't even say buy the house in cash. So already Ken vibing, dude, we're getting, see, see what I'm saying? Like maybe these react videos are like starting to seep in. They're watching them. Probably not, but that would be pretty cool. Yeah, he's suggesting a large down payment and he's saying it could be possible. So I don't, I'm not sure if you bought the house with cash versus a 529 where you put the money into index funds. If you broke those numbers down, I'm not sure real estate would make a lot of sense at that point. You're putting, I mean, real estate's more work and I'm not sure the gains are that much higher than if you were to just stick the money in index funds. So I'm not sure that would be a great way to go. I think taking out debt on real estate is smart. If you did do a sizable down payment, I usually recommend people do like 25 plus percent, depending on what your risk is. 25% is the basic for um, real estate mortgages like or investment mortgages. And people do get a little spicy where they find that down payment in other places. Like they take out other loans and figure out that down payment. So they're not using their own cash. I would not recommend that, especially if you're starting out. Like, you know, maybe you could figure that out at some point, but if you're starting out, don't worry about that. Um, but it does seem like he's saying, hey, this could technically work. And I agree. You could put money in a 529 and in real estate. Yeah, I don't know. Seems like a good plan to me. But the way they set it up is an incomplete narrative. Yes, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. That's fair. Because, too, I'm like, when you transfer an asset like a house there's a lot of things you were talking about this earlier child i'm like yeah you got it there's like a tax that there could be tax implications if you're not careful all this and and the rental income that you make is taxable like like it's just yeah all of this she said this before and i've caught her on it before the rental income is not taxable if she does transfer this house over to her daughter that could be taxable if she just holds on to it and then maybe at some point she could do like a seller loan to her daughter so that her daughter is taking out debt to purchase the house, but debt against the, you know, that's that she's paying back to her mom. And then they still continue to rent it out instead of her living in it. You know, you could do stuff to try and figure this out. That would make sense. But um, that is something to watch out for. If you buy a, a investment property and then you hand it over to someone else, that is an, an asset acquisition. That is income. So that'll count. I'm like, yeah. man, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know why I'm like it just it feels uh like get an upma or something like like start investing well, th- and this is the nature of social media people like this can sway people with an incomplete narrative and what you need to understand is is that you're assuming risk and you can't guarantee that you're gonna have renters all the time there's a lot of things that are that are at play versus the 529 can be used in a variety of ways towards qualifying them so if they don't go to traditional college yeah. they could still use the 529 for a trade school yes. which now is like you know and can I, be passed tri- to, passed to different along. children and all that so, so what yeah. yeah but college is it is a fascinating topic right now because there's a part of me though that i still am like that transition from 18 to 21 
still having a level of responsibility, still learning and growing like that. Nah, that is a. I want to challenge you. On I know, I know, but listen, listen, like that. Still, it, there is there is pros to that. There are. But my question is, my my is like, what is college going to look like in 15 years? Very and I different. am putting money in a 529. Very different. So what what is it going to look like? Well, I don't and think. I don't that think makes you're me have, a little nervous, too. Yeah, I get that. Hey, I got to tell you this. Yesterday, Entree Leadership Master Series happening downtown Nashville, I took a question from a business owner that operate big, like, backhoes and big, giant tractors and things like that on construction sites. They're hiring kids straight out of high school to operate these big machines. How and much? the kids are loving it. They're making as much as fifty-five, sixty thousand oh, yeah. dollars Pretty awesome. Right out of high school. Good. That's the end of the video. So there are some really cool jobs out there that don't require college that make a lot of money. You could invest that money. You can buy real estate with that money and set yourself up way past your college peers. Um, we also broke down on this channel how you can you can get further or at least match people with college, even in STEM degrees by using things like coding boot camps, which are a lot cheaper. You don't have to go into as much debt or any debt to get there. And then when you get out, you'll be making the same amount of money as your peers and they will be fighting debt while you are just collecting and investing. So there are plans out there in terms of college. I think real estate is a great investment tool. I disagree a little bit here. I know Rachel, like she kind of digs her heels in and she's like, ah, oh, like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Well, in investing isn't about what feels right, what doesn't feel right. It's about putting numbers down on paper and using what makes sense. The one thing I like about real estate over a 529 is that real estate is cash-free cash flow or is tax-free cash flow regardless of what you spend that money on. So we get to take that cash flow and we could spend it on our kids' college. That's awesome. We could take that cash flow and we could spend it on our mortgage. We could take that cash flow and spend it on more real estate. We could do whatever we want. We don't pay taxes on it no matter what. So 529, if you start taking money out of it and you're not using it for investing, now you're going to have to pay taxes on it because it's just a tax deferred account unless you start putting money into education. So I think all of these are smart things to look at. I think you should educate yourself in all of them. I think that they're doing a little bit of a disservice just kind of saying that, oh, this is an incomplete thought. Don't worry about it. If you follow this channel, if you subscribe to it, we're talking about real estate investing all the time and how impactful that is and how impactful leverage is. Just did an episode yesterday, two days ago, just did an episode two days ago on why the rich take out debt, even though they're rich because it's such an impactful way to invest and to leverage your money using the bank's money or someone else's money. That's the end of this video. Please smash the like button, subscribe, comment down below. Let us know what you think, if there's anything that we're missing or that you would do differently or have done differently that has been successful. We're always willing to learn here and I'll see you guys next time.